Hi, welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast, where we attempt to equip people for kingdom release. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. Hey friends, welcome again to Vineyard Altoona. My name is Derek. I'm the co-senior pastor here. We're going to begin a new series today, uh, or I'm going to set it up that's actually going to begin next week. Today I'm going to talk about uh, the vision for for fall of 2021. And I want to begin uh, by asking you this question. How far would you be willing to go to care for someone else? How far? Uh, January 2019, the the Pickard family had finished their vacation in Hawaii, and they flew back home to to California. And when they got home, what they realized tragically was that their the sons the the their young sons' uh, favorite stuffed animal uh, it was a teddy bear named Sutro uh, was missing, along with a, a a stuffed seal that they had that they had purchased. And as you can imagine, the son was just upset. He was distraught. And so Anna, his mother, reached out to the hotel in Hawaii where they had been staying and said, can anybody see if they found uh, the teddy bear and the seal? Well, the hotel uh, wrote back and said, yeah, we actually have found the stuffed animals. And they could have just boxed them up and sent them back, you know, shipped them back, uh, and gotten the, you know, and taking care of the kid. But the hotel staff went beyond that. The hotel staff took the teddy bear and the seal, and they took them uh, all over the hotel, taking pictures of, of what uh, Sutro and his new friend, the seal, had done on their extended vacation in Hawaii. They took pictures of, of Sutro uh, helping to fold the laundry, of, of doing nails, uh, of renting a cabana and hanging out by the pool. Uh, they took a picture uh, of Sutro uh, doing all kinds of things, hanging out with hotel staff. And last of all, they took a picture of Sutro and the seal at the front desk checking out of the hotel. And they sent these pictures to Anna, the mother, to give to her son, because they cared. How far would you be willing to go to care for someone else? This was a story about going to great lengths to care for these family, this family. You know, Jesus said at Matthew 28, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. What I want to know is how far would you be willing to go to see someone come to faith in Christ? How far would you be willing to go? You know, how, what lengths would you be willing to go to, to see the kingdom of God filled with more people? You know, statistics tell us that, that Altoona has more than 21,000 people still who don't know Jesus, who have no faith. What lengths would you go to to see some of those people come to know Jesus? Today, I'm calling today's message, uh, Becoming All Things to All People, as we talk about what we're going to do uh, heading for the fall and beyond. Would you pray with me? And then we'll turn to Scripture. 
So Holy Spirit, I invite you to come and God, I do pray that you would give us vision for what you want to do in this city. And God, what you're inviting us into, Lord, would you give us a heart to see people come to know you? And I pray, God, that you would enliven our spirits and that we would become people, Lord, who see people the way you do, that we would have passion and compassion for people. Lord, I pray that you would put power on this message and enable me to speak as I should. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians, and, and we did a, a few weeks ago, we looked at 1 Corinthians, but I'm going to look at chapter 9 today. And I said a couple weeks ago that 1 Corinthians is this letter that Paul wrote to this church in Corinth that he planted. And chapter 9 is actually Paul illustrating a point he made in chapter 8. Well, the point he made in chapter 8 was around eating food that was sacrificed to idols. That was the question that he was addressing. And what Paul says is, you know, it's idols are not a thing. And so if your freedom in Christ allows, you can eat meat sacrificed to idols. But here's the thing. What Paul says is, if eating uh, meat sacrificed to idols is seen by someone who does not have that kind of freedom in Christ, it may cause them to stumble. They may uh, fall away from the gospel or not hear the gospel. And so if that's the case, you shouldn't eat the meat. Because for Paul, what's so important is that we would allow people to hear the gospel. And so basically, Paul says all that. And then in chapter 9, he moves and illustrates that point by his own uh, ministry. So the beginning of chapter 9 in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, uh, you know, when I came to you to do ministry, I was free. I was allowed to take money to be paid for the ministry I did. Yet, I didn't want to repulse you from the gospel or, or cause you to be compromised for hearing the gospel. And so I didn't do that because I wanted you to receive the gospel. And so this is what Paul says. And then he leads right up to what we're going to read. We're going to read the uh, beginning of verse 19. And here's how he sums that whole argument up. He says, though I am free, I belong to no one. I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Paul says that he will go as far as necessary without compromising the gospel in order to see people saved. My question for us is, how far are we willing to go to see people come to faith in Christ? How far? Like if you really think about your life, how far are you actually willing to go to see people come to faith? Now, if we really want to understand what Paul is saying here, what we need to understand is a couple of things. The first thing is the true center of everything Paul says and does is the spread of the gospel. Paul wrote a whole bunch of letters in the, the New Testament, and the essence of all of it is 
the spread of the gospel. And so all the things he addresses revolve around things that would hinder or help the spread of the gospel. For Paul, it's not enough that he received the gospel and was saved. All throughout Paul's letters, what is important, what's primary, is the faithful spread of the gospel. You know, a lot of times I think we read Paul's letters and and we read it as if he's like the creator of this thing called Christianity. You know, so we read his letters and we think, oh, well, there's these do's, there's these don'ts, there's this thing that's supposed to happen. And, and we look through his letters and we see that he, he says something and we just hold on to it. And we say, well, this must always for all time be true, regardless of the context that Paul is writing in. We just sort of rip the verse out and we say, well, this must be how you run this thing called the Christian church. But that's not how Paul's letters function. For Paul, what is primary is the spread of the gospel. Paul didn't make up the gospel. The gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which means that if you want to understand Paul, what you first have to understand is the gospel. We turn to Jesus to understand the gospel. We turn to Paul to deal with the fallout and the things that come, the problems that arise whenever the gospel spreads. The gospel is primary to Paul. So what is the gospel? In short, the gospel is that God is reclaiming and recreating all of creation, that everything's a mess and God is becoming king and making all things new again. This happens through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And the invitation to us that God has is to participate with him in the recreation of all things. This is the gospel. This is the message that Paul gave his life to. It's the thing that he spent his life on. And all through his letters, it's the thing that he wants to see not compromised. That this message would spread without hinder. So when Paul writes his letters... He's not telling you how you have to do everything. What he's saying is, here are the things that hinder the spread of the gospel. Certainly there are things that matter. Don't mishear me. Certainly there's morality things. There's trying to understand about how you come to faith and how you begin a relationship with God. There are things about how you live in relationship with God. There are things about the way you should conduct yourself so that the gospel spread won't be hindered. But what's primary for Paul all the way through is the spread of the gospel. That's the most important thing. The primary consideration for the church of Jesus Christ is the spread of the gospel. There are all kinds of problems that that will cause, but what's primary is the spread of the gospel. Friends, I wonder if that's primary for us. Like as you think about your life, you think about the way you do faith, would you say what's primary for me is the spread of the gospel? Is that primary for you? Or is there something else that's primary? I I think it would be worth being honest with yourself. Is the primary thing in your life when it comes to the gospel the spread of the gospel? Or is it my own sanctification or my own holiness or my own, all those things are not insignificant, but they all serve to support the spread of the gospel. 
So is the gospel spread primary for you? You know, it has always been my aim in this church that the spread of the gospel would be primary in this church. That the thing that we are primarily concerned with is the spread of the gospel. The gospel that, that says that, that God has become king through Jesus Christ. That's been my aim. It's that, that, that's what should happen. It has not primarily been that we would become mature as disciples, although that will happen. It has not been primarily aimed at us creating bigger gatherings of people who are holy. That will happen. Primarily, though, those things support the spread of the gospel. Discipleship should be aimed primarily at the spread of the gospel. Let me give you a couple of examples. You've probably heard me talk about emotionally focused a handful of times, or faith walking, right? The goal of emotionally focused is not primarily to make you more emotionally healthy or differentiated. That's not the primary goal. The primary goal is for you to engage in the spread of the gospel with people you disagree with in a healthy way. And so we do we do become more differentiated, we do become more emotionally healthy, but the goal is mission. It's all about the spread of the gospel. In fact, the last class you take when you take emotionally focused is called emotionally focused mission. The point is the spread of the gospel. Do you see that? There's another thing that we've been creating and you'll hear more about this in the coming weeks called basics. Uh, it's this 10-week discipleship course that we've been creating, uh, and we'll, we'll like to probably invite some of you in to sort of help us fine-tune it over the summer. But the point of basics is to take someone who is a new follower of Jesus, who has just begun a relationship with Jesus, and help them to, to move forward in the spread of the gospel. Will it make them more mature? Sure, absolutely. Is that the goal? No. The goal is the spread of the gospel. It's primary in this church. Our primary focus in this church is the spread of the gospel, as it is for Paul. The other thing that I want to point out today is to understand Paul, especially in this place, but to understand Paul generally, loving people involves limiting his own freedoms for the sake of those who don't know Jesus. That's what Paul is doing. He doesn't expect the lost to become like him to be saved. Instead, Paul looks at the culture, enters in, and brings people to Jesus. Paul doesn't expect people to change. He changes to enter the culture such that people would meet Jesus. So he evaluates the culture that people are living in, and then for the sake of the lost, he goes to them. He says that I've become all things to all people so that in all possible, uh, by all possible means, I might save some. Paul enters the culture of those who are lost. You know, really, this is not uh, new from Paul, though. This is just Paul imitating Jesus, you know? This is incarnational ministry. Jesus was in heaven with his father with all power, privilege, and authority, and he laid it all down and became human. He entered our culture 
such that we might be saved. This is incarnational ministry. Jesus didn't wait for us to finally go to him. Jesus came to us. And in the same way, Paul didn't wait for people to come to him. Paul went to those who needed to be saved. Paul enters the culture for the sake of those who don't know Jesus. And you know, this is just so Christ-like, isn't it? To lay down power and authority in humility such that people might come to know Jesus. I wonder, friends, if we're that kind of people. You know, we live in this culture where, where everybody is embattled, right? Everyone demands their rights and you're trampling on my rights. And if you're not all the way with me, then you're against me. And I wonder if we couldn't be a people who, for the sake of the lost, lay down our rights and become like those who need Jesus for the sake of people coming to know him. I wonder if that could be us. I wonder if we could engage in the humility of Christ and in an incarnational ministry such that those around us in our city would come to know Jesus. I wonder if that's, that's us. And friends, this is really as we think about the fall where the rubber meets the road. You know, how far will we go to see people come to know Jesus? Statistics say there's more than 21,000 people in Altoona proper who claim no faith in Jesus. That's one in two, roughly, which means one out of every two of your coworkers claims no faith in Jesus. One out of two of your relatives and your neighbors and your friends claim no faith in Jesus. How far would you be willing to go for them to come to know Jesus. How far? Because I think if we wouldn't be willing to go very far, we might as well just be saying, the rest of them can just go to hell. How far would we be willing to go to see people come to faith in Jesus? What comforts, what, uh, what freedoms will we be willing to lay down or restrict for people who don't know Jesus? How can we enter the culture of Altoona? This is a question I'm asking. As Vineyard Altoona, how can we enter the culture and lead people to faith in Jesus? How can we do that? I believe COVID has given us quite an opportunity. We get to reset everything. Everything stopped and everybody's rhythms were upended. And I believe as this wanes and as people begin, as they get through this uh, summer and move into the fall, people are going to be uh, more open to beginning new things. I think we as a church get a reset, which is why we're aiming for September to do a grand reopening. Because I think as people settle in in the fall, we're going to have an opportunity again to invite them to experience Jesus in our midst. Now, as I'm thinking about this fall, let me outline just three things that are framing how I'm thinking toward the fall. The first thing that I'm thinking about when it comes to the fall is the Sunday morning worship gathering. You know, when we first moved here, one of the things we discovered uh, was that the culture here knows that church happens on Sunday. Didn't matter where you went, people know that church happens on Sunday. And we were a small group meeting on Thursday night. And I, I, 
One person called us a cult because we didn't meet on Sunday morning. That's not a church. That's a cult, right? This culture knows that church should meet on Sunday, which means that if we want to engage the culture where they're at, if we want to enter the culture, we should have something on Sunday. Now you go, well, we have something on Sunday. Well, when we first started, we said, well, let's get something in the train station for Sunday. Uh, You know, so we rented a space and that did help actually. More people came to faith in Christ in the train station than before we were in the train station. So so that helped us. But I think we still, I still had this, this belief that, that that was not all that important. And I've talked about that before. But that is what we've learned is that new people and people in our culture who want to engage the church, the first place they're going to engage is Sunday morning. And so... One of the things that we've learned and what's been revelation to me is that God cares about Sunday morning, that every Sunday we get together to remember the resurrection of Jesus, that for 2000 years, the church has gathered on Sunday. And so it wasn't just that our culture needed it. It was that God actually likes what we do on Sundays. He actually cares what happens. And so this was a shift for me that I've been learning more and more over the last year. And that one of the things that I think is important as we think about the fall is that Sunday matters, that that we need to have a space and a gathering on Sunday where people can meet Jesus, feel safe, and and feel like they, they can step in at their own pace. And so that's one of the things I'm thinking about. You know, if we don't create an environment where people feel safe, They're just not going to hear what we have to say about Jesus. And so I'm thinking about creating a Sunday morning where people are, uh, feel safe and secure to take steps towards Jesus. That's the first thing I'm thinking about. The second thing I'm thinking about is actually related to the first, you know, this church uh, in seven years has met in seven different locations. And for those of you who have hung around for seven locations, God bless you. Thank you for hanging around for all that transition. But one of the things that we've realized is that the culture in this area needs stability. And so I'm thinking about stability. You know, (laughs) we've moved seven times in seven years. And as I'm thinking about the fall, what I'm thinking about is having a home, is moving to a place that's home for people is being in a place that communicates stability for a culture that needs it if they're going to walk into a Sunday morning gathering. The other thing that I think we've realized, you know, since we moved out of the train station, not having a place that was home really meant that we were not as able to engage the culture around us through the week. Many of you remember, we used to use the space in the train station all the time. (laughs) Had things going on all the time in the train station. And it was because it was our place. And I believe as we go forward to the fall, we need a place that's home, something that's stable. And and so as I think about that, what I'm thinking about is it needs to be a place that can allow us to grow without forcing us to move. Every move we've made, every transition that we've made has created instability and made people feel unsafe. 
And if we want to connect with our culture, they need to feel confident that this is a place they can come to engage and experience Jesus. And so that's, that's the second thing is stability. The first thing is our Sunday morning gathering. The second thing is stability. The third thing that I'm, that's framing how I'm thinking about the fall is children's ministry. You know, when we started this church, we had kids and the Boyer family had kids. And so as we were getting started, we felt like, well, we really need to have something for our kids to do while we plant the church. We sort of divorced the two uh, from one another. And all the time, I don't know if it's felt this way to you, but sort of kids ministry has been a little bit of a staple on to the end of the church. It's that we haven't thought super intentionally about it. But here's the conviction that I've come to over the past year. Kids uh, are most likely to cut people, people as a whole, are most likely to come to faith in Jesus between the ages of 4 and 14. And statistics say that if you get past the age of 18 without having, having begun a relationship with Jesus, your odds go way down. So for all of you who came to faith in Christ after 18, you're an anomaly, statistically speaking. But here's the thing. If we want to be a church who, who sees lost people come to faith, who sees people engage uh, with Jesus, the most prime time for that is between the ages of 4 and 14. And the conviction that I've come to is, I think we're disingenuous if we say we want to see people come to faith in Jesus and we don't have a kids ministry that's, that's thriving and life-giving, that we actually do it on purpose, that it's not church up here and kids down here, it's like at least this. I think having a kids ministry that matters is, is a non-negotiable. And so that's one of the things I'm thinking about, as if we want to impact the culture of Altoona for generations to come, the way we're going to do that is by intentionally investing in a kid's ministry that makes a difference. This is us engaging our culture. And you know, and I know how many single parents are out there who, who would love help with their kids, would love their kids to grow up better than they have. What better gift could we as the church give to this community than to raise a generation of children who know, love, and follow Jesus? So that's the third thing that I'm thinking about as we frame this fall. The first thing is the Sunday morning gathering where people can connect. The second thing is being stable. <laughs> I shouldn't have to, I mean, yeah. But stability, right? And the third thing is a kid's ministry that matters. These are the things that I'm thinking about for this fall. And here's the deal, though. This doesn't work if we don't all work together. You know, it's, it, we're not going to win the day. We're not going to become who God has called us to be if we turn into this thing where the leadership is going to make this happen and we're going to be spectators. Friends, this is going to require all of us to participate. We're all co-laborers. And there's a role in all of this for you and for me. And here's what we need as we go forward. We need a people who will pray fervently. We need a people who will give and invest generously. And we need a people who will serve faithfully. And friends, knowing you, knowing you all the way that I do, I know that we have a church full of people who can do that. 
I know that. And I know that the best days in this city and in this church are ahead of us. Friends, I want to invite you to participate in this with me. Because this is worth giving your life to. It was worth Paul giving his life to. As I wrap up, I want to, I know that there are probably lots of questions, lots of thoughts, lots of ideas about this, and I want to hear all of them and engage them. I'm creating two separate spaces for dialogue. The next two Mondays, so that's uh, May 24th and May 31st, I'm going to have a a Zoom gathering from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. You can put it on your calendar, 24th and 31st, 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Zoom. If you would rather be in person, uh, the next two Wednesdays, put them on your calendar, May 26th and June 2nd from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m., I'm going to be at the Clay Cup. And if you want to come and dialogue about these uh, things, I will buy your drink. So it's worth coming just to get a drink, right? But I would love to have a conversation with you about these things because I believe that there's, there's tremendous things that God's going to do through this church. If you want the, the Zoom link or you want uh, you know, a reminder for these, these gatherings, uh, these, uh, these conversations, you can sign up on our text service Text the word Vineyard, V-I-N-E-Y-A-R-D, to 94000. But I'd love to have you participate as we go forward. God bless you guys.